Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Greetings, music nerds, and welcome to Season 6 of Music Makers and Soul Shakers. I am your host, Steve Dawson, coming to you from the Hen House Studio here in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm really excited to be bringing you this new season of shows coming to you on the first and third Wednesdays of every month. I have a great lineup of fascinating conversations with incredible musicians, songwriters, guitarists, steel guitarists, drummers, composers, who knows what else. I've been having an incredible time diving deep with these folks, and I know you're going to enjoy listening. Just a reminder that this year I've taken out the short song samples through the show, as things have gotten way more complicated as far as legal use of music goes, so I'll be making an accompanying Spotify playlist to each episode, which you'll find in the episode's show notes and at the website at makersandshakerspodcast.com. So anytime you hear this cute little slide guitar sound, you'll know there's a track to go along with it on the playlist. We have some new sponsors this year, but continue to be largely listener-supported. Your help in keeping the show going is always appreciated, and you can do it with a one-time donation or a Patreon subscription. Patreon is a monthly payment of your choice, and when you sign up for that, you get a bit of added content as well as an ad-free version of the show to listen to. If you don't feel like kicking in any dough, that's cool too, but you can help by subscribing for free on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or just spread the word by sharing the show, following us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and telling all your pals about it. You can get links to all this stuff, of course, at makersandshakerspodcast.com. Meanwhile, many thanks to our sponsors this season. Please check them out and let them know that I sent you. They are Isotope, Ear Trumpet Labs, Union Tube and Transistor, Black Mountain Picks, and Spectra 1964. Hey there, music nerds and folks from around the world. Welcome back to season six of the show. This is episode number 121. I'm really excited to bring you this conversation with the incredible singer, songwriter, and someone who's had a number of really interesting collaborations throughout her career, Aoife O'Donovan. She has a brand new album out that she recorded remotely during the pandemic, produced by Joe Henry, and the album is called Age of Apathy. And it's a really incredible piece of work, the singing, songs, imagery, layers of interesting guitar parts and other instruments all make what she does totally unique. And I wanted to talk to her about how she worked on the new music. And as it turns out, we had some similar COVID recording experiences, which I wanted to talk about too. One of which was working remotely with the mighty drummer and percussionist Jay Belleros. And Jay was set up in his living room through the pandemic. And his wife, Jen Kondos, was recording him quite often. And Jay did a bunch of work for me that way. And as it turns out, also played on Aoife's record that way as well. And, you know, the process of writing and recording for people is already really interesting, but to throw in everyone's crazy COVID experiences and how that affected their lives and process during the last couple of years is just as wild. And it seems like Aoife hit a creative stride after a mid-pandemic move, which I can also relate to. 
But she moved to Florida uh, in Orlando, I believe, and the new album is the result of this creative spurt that she had. I first came to know of Eva through her work with the band that she was in called Crooked Still, and I believe she was the founding member of that band as well. And maybe about 15 years ago, we were put together on a on a workshop stage at the Vancouver Folk Fest, and her voice and writing really struck me back then. And Crooked Still made a bunch of cool albums over the years, but she broke out and started releasing her own solo records in 2013. And she worked with Tucker Martin on some of those early solo records. And uh, he's been on the show. And I wanted to talk to her a bit about that because he's an interesting dude that makes cool records. And so we get into that here. And uh, she's done a bunch of really cool side projects. Some of them include uh, the trio that she's in called I'm With Her. That's with her and Sarah Jarose and Sarah Watkins. Um, Both of those people have also been on this show. If you haven't heard their episodes, go check them out. And she's collaborated with Chris Thiele, Yo-Yo Ma, Jerry Douglas, and lots more great people. And I also had the honor to be asked to record Alison Russell's vocals for Aoife's new album. She wanted Allie to sing on some songs, and uh, she came over and did that at my place. So I got a sneak peek of the material from the record back then when we did those tracks. And when Aoife and I spoke for this episode, the record had not yet come out, so I hadn't heard the entire thing, just the songs that I'd worked on and a couple more. But it's out now, and I highly encourage you to go and have a listen and go get yourself a copy. It's called Age of Apathy. You can stream it or buy a vinyl copy, and you can also get info on all of Aoife's extensive touring activities. She's really back at it in a big way at aoifaodonovan.com, and that's A-O-I-F-E. O-D-O-N-O-V-A-N.com. How's that? Um, Also, just wanted to put a shout out to Stephen Kaplan and thank him for making a donation to the show this week. It's much appreciated, as always. All right, let's get down to it. Enjoy my conversation with Aoife O'Donovan. Well, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for your involvement. I've had both Sarahs on this show as well, so, so you're the I'm with her trifecta now. Oh, awesome. I love it. And and I don't know if you know the connection here as well, but I recorded Allie. I know. That's what I mean by so, thanks by your involvement. Yeah. So. Oh, you, yeah. Okay. You were like directly involved in three songs on the record. I was. Really cool. I was. Yeah. And I got a little sneak peek a few months ago. So that was cool. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for doing that. And uh, those those parts are so critical to the sound of the record. So I really appreciate it. And it's cool to come full circle. And you said, and we met in Canada like uh, years ago, we, right? We, so I remember you playing with Cricket Still at the Vancouver Folk Fest and we got stuck on one of those workshops together. And um, I was playing with a band called Zubot and Dawson. We had a duo that was like, uh, I was playing Weisenborn and, and the other guy was playing fiddle. And we did a, a workshop you know, one of those things that they stick you on. I, I love those. I I can't wait. Next time I'm at a Canadian <laughs> folk festival, I'm just going to be like, I'll do any workshop forever for the whole weekend. It's like the things that the things that you don't realize that you miss so much is like, yeah, you know. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Yeah, for me, like I'm from Vancouver and I, I hadn't been back in um, two years or so. I hadn't even been to Canada in almost two years. So it was a little weird for me. And then um, I went back to make a record about six months ago. And it seemed like things were getting back to normal then. And now everything's off the rails again. So I don't know what the hell's going on. 
do you have any bookings for Canadian festivals this summer or not yet? I have a lot of bookings for American and European stuff, but I, I, I'm going okay. you know, when we hang up, but this is going to like, I'm going to call my manager and be like, get me on a Canadian festival. I love, <laughs> I, I love Canadian festivals so much. I mean, I really do. And, and crooked still, had such a great run at all the Canadian festivals. And I'm with her, did a bunch of them too. And when I was pregnant uh, five years ago, I guess now, five summers ago, I did Winnipeg and Vancouver. And I, I remember just like being there pregnant. Like it's just a funny memory yeah. I have of, of doing those festivals solo with like a big belly. Right, right. Do you, Is there some connection with you to Vancouver? Like, I don't know if it's a, if it was just sort of a random pick, but, but that song Stanley Park on. on yeah. I mean, I, and... I love Vancouver. That, that, that was just random. It wasn't based on, I mean, it was based on me running a, a really long run in Vancouver um, on a really cold morning after I played St. James on the seawall on the sea. Yeah. The whole, oh, yeah. the whole, um, it was like a 10 or 11 mile run. And it was one of those. Just yeah. That's like, a good haul. Yeah, it was so I was staying at like the Marriott downtown or something. And I remember I did this really long run and kind of wrote that song and then walked from the hotel to Meat and Bread, this place that has these great sandwiches um, in yeah. like the Gaslight District, I think it's called or um, Gastown. Gastown. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. I love Vancouver. I've had I've had great such great i have so many great like food memories from vancouver there's this great place east west <laughs> just do you know that place east west no it's no. like it's Where's near that? there's actually a couple of locations but it's near one of them the first place i had it was near st james hall do you know that, that place i'm talking about that like for sure yeah i played yeah. there probably 50 times i love yeah. that place so much and and you get these non-burritos they're like it's like oh it, it, i do know that place yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's like I, I think about that 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 meal like that non-burrito is is i put really? that up there i mean i really do and and they like there's a new there's a bigger restaurant there i, I go there every time i'm in vancouver like now you now you really yeah. know me this is what i care about is finding the best <laughs> um sandwich of all sorts wherever i am east yeah I, I forgot about that place but now that you mention it i actually they they get music in there sometimes and there's a a like a classical indian lap steel guitar player in vancouver that pl had sort of a house gig there and i sat in with them a few times there so that's my that dream that's that. my dream house gig i'm, gonna, I'm moving <laughs> to vancouver so i can, so I can my new life. you'll just do it for the burritos i will <laughs> <laughs> uh so where do you live now are you in boston no i haven't lived in boston and i mean god in in 13 years or I, I grew up there. Um, I live in Florida okay. right now, but I, I grew up oh, in Boston. Oh, and wow. okay. Yeah. And I lived in New York for many years and I still have you know strong ties to New York. And um, I came down here. My husband has a job here. He's the conductor of the orchestra in Orlando. And we, Oh wow. Okay. We were in, in, in New York for the first part of the pandemic. And then because he was able to do a season an outdoor distanced mask season with all this open space and beautiful weather. We came down here and we kind of moved here full time last September and we're, we're staying put here for, for the time being and uh, probably end up back in the Northeast eventually. But, but it's, it's been a really, really nice place to land during all this because it's progressive. Yeah. It's like a really nice progressive pocket of a crazy state, but it's like so much gorgeous nature and there's it's just, it's really it's like the hidden secret of the South. I, I love it here so much. It's great. Are you actually in Orlando? I'm in Orlando. I'm in a, a hundred year old house on a Brickline street, like right in the wow. old part of the town. It's, it's great. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. 
Uh, I'd like to talk about the the new record, um, Age of Apathy. I, I love it. I don't know it well yet because I've only heard, I recorded some of the Ali Russell's vocals for it. So I heard those songs and then I've heard some of the other stuff and I and I actually got my hands on the whole record this morning. So, uh, but I, I'd love to talk about the process and where you were when you did it. Uh, I know Joe Henry and, and uh, we talked when I was going to work on the record and I, so I know a little bit that you were doing it remotely. Um, but could you tell me about like how remotely it was? Were you totally doing your own stuff? And Joe was sort of like involved from a, afar. And I, I actually recorded some of my own music and had Jay Bellarose play on it and Jen Condos recorded him in their house. So I think we've been through some similar things lately with, with that whole thing. And I would love to find out how that process was for you. Yeah, um, it was a really bizarre process. I've never worked in this way before. I was here in Florida when I started the record, uh, and there's this great school here called Full Sail University in Winter Park, yep. which is r- right where I am. I'm, you know, two miles from Winter Park, and I uh, became, you know, in, in, I got in touch with people who, who run that place um, through my husband. Actually, there's a composer who's a faculty member there, Keith Lay. And he introduced me to Darren Schneider, who's one of the head engineers at the school. It's like an audio recording school, right? It's an audio recording school. It's a huge, it, they have tons of students. It's an incredible facility. They do audio recording, they do gaming, they do wow. engineering, uh, production. It's like, it's a, it's kind of like a, a mecca for, for young engineers to come and sort of cut their teeth and figure out how to record. And a lot of people go on to, to do huge things. So a lot of the engineers who come through there, but all this to say, there was this basically an empty studio that that you know because students weren't were largely not on campus. A lot of stuff was remote last year, and I uh, kind of got hooked up with them and was able to record there with this incredible engineer. Uh, you know, pretty much like all the time, I was going you know three, four, or five days a week. I would uh, go and then leave the studio and eat my lunch on the way to pick up my daughter from school. It was this really cool. Um, because there was no like you know there was no hanging out. It wasn't like we were hanging out in the control room. Right. I was in the the booth, and Darren uh, was in the control room, and you know we weren't in the same room. We were this is like pre-vaccine. We were just recording and staying separate. And I just, like it's just these funny things of when you make a record. So much of making a record for me, for all of us musicians, is is just about hanging out. Like the hang is yeah. such a huge part of being a musician. Um, totally. And there there it was funny to sort of not have any of that for this record. It was just like work, 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 go, go, go. And, um, and Joe got involved uh, pretty early on in the process. I, I had, um, called him, we had, we had been in touch and we're, we're friends. We've worked together before uh, on shows, never in a recording context, but I'd always wanted to make a record with him. I really connect with him. He's such a beautiful soul, beautiful spirit. And, he, yeah. I, I, I called him. I said, do you want to do this record together? And, and, you know, this is where I'm at with it. I've got these songs I'm working on and I have the studio, but it's all going to have to be remote because there's not really any way to kind of gather in a way that makes sense. It just felt like it was too stressful to try to, I don't know, do, do something like that. I have a child. I live in Florida. Like nobody's near here. So he, he signed on and the, the songs just kind of started to roll out. Like I was making these demos myself in Florida. I was recording acoustic guitar, electric guitar, piano, roads, vocals, et cetera. And I would send them to Joe. And initially I thought these were just demos and we were going to kind of start from scratch and, and start over. But what ended up happening is a lot of those early, you know, basic tracks of my guitars and, and keys ended up really being the, the, 
the bedrock of what was to come next. Oh, wow. and, okay. Yeah. So um, I, I recut a lot of the vocals, but not even all of them. And, and mm-hmm. then we would sort of send the tracks, you know, in small groups to Jay Bellarose, so whose you know, wife, Jen would record him in their house and he would send them back and we would fold them in and Joe would get them first. And then Darren would get them and I would show up at the studio and there'd be the song with drums. And I'd be like, Whoa, there's drums. It's kind of cool, right? It was crazy. But the, the really crazy thing is, is that, you know, I've, I've been a band leader. I've been a band member. I've been a side person. I've, I've sort of had been in every context of the, the room and the recording session, but I've never, I've never before experienced have writing a song and then having somebody play on it that you have not personally communicated with about how you want it to sound. Yeah. So it's, you know, usually you're like, all right, try this, or I'm hearing like the drums coming in on this part, or how about a big fill there? Or don't play this space note because like, that's not what I'm hearing in my ears. There was none of that, which at first was really uh, jarring. Like I would get these things back and I'd be like, whoa, that's totally not what I thought we were going to do on that song. Especially with Jay playing, who's the most unpredictable drummer of all time. But it really, it really was every, every single person who was on the record, it was just this like surprise. Yeah. And it was such an exercise for me in patience and actually sitting with something. Cause I, I'm such a, like, I, I, I'm such an immediate, like, I don't like that. Don't do that. I don't know. Do this. And it was really cool to then have this finished product be all these things that I'm pretty sure had I been in the room when they were happening, I would have been like, don't do that. Do something different. I don't like that. That's not, that's not the part that I want there. And I'm so uh, just like delighted with how it turned out. So for, for me in that process, I found that the negatives were the obvious things like what you say, where you're not there and you don't really have that um, immediate interplay with, with all those people that, shapes how things sound. But I found that there were positives to the experience that I wasn't expecting. Um, And without really communicating to you what those are, were there surprising things that for you were positives of that experience? Everything was positive. I don't even think there was really a negative. It was, it was these, 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 it it felt more collaborative in a way. I think I went into it thinking it would be less collaborative or or Mm -hmm. less that, that, that people would have less, invested in the project who were playing on it, but it ended up feeling like a, a real, a, something that we were making together. Right. Um, and, I, and I think that, that that's been especially true as I've gone on and played some of these, I've played a couple of live shows of the music and hearing David Pilch's bass parts, you know, with Ethan Yojevitz playing them because, but they're, they're like Pilch parts and, and they're on right. my song that he, he, he contributed. Now they're this sort of like, this essential part of the song without me having even known that they were so essential. Um, right. I think that's, that's a really cool, uh, that's a really cool thing. And Ali's vocals on uh, like on prodigal daughter and, and on elevators, like just these really cool things that were different than how I was sort of like imagining them be just to, to sound in my head. Then she sings them. And then that becomes the, the jumping off point for whoever's going to do it live or, you know, it's right. just, it's a really, it just feels like everybody now cool. has their own stamp on it. And it's, it's just, I, I, I love it. So were you communicating at all with, with Jay and David and um, I-, I mean, Joe, Joe was, I wasn't personally, like, I think I left that, I really left that in Joe's hands. And I think he was, okay communicating, but, you know, letting them really, they were kind of going back and forth. And sometimes he would send me like a sketch and I'd be like, yeah, that's cool. But this 
the first, I remember the first thing that Pilch played on was like the town of mercy, a song that Joe and I wrote together. And he sent back this, you know, this idea of this, like this opening his, his base entrance. And I was like, Oh, like, I really, I'm just really not sure about that. And I kind of sat with it and I was like, yeah, I'm really not sure about that. I, I think I would like to hear a couple other options and I'm pretty sure I'll go with another option. And then I, you know, sent back some more options and I was like, yeah, how about this way? And then it, it turned out that once I had heard that thing, that first way he did it, his first instinct after like a, yeah. a week or something, I was like, ah, it just has to be that it has to, I have to go back to that because now it's in there and it's like, right. it's uh, yeah, I can't get it out. How was the writing process for you? I don't know when, at what, at what point you started writing all this material, but was it like post pandemic um, had you ever had a chance to play any of these songs live before you recorded them or, or was it all just sort of born out of that? No, okay. God, no, it was all, it was all born out of this time. It was all, I had started writing, I think the earliest scraps for this record probably started in January of 2020 before the pandemic. Cause I was sort of getting into the, the mindset of trying to write for a new record, but really like the earliest scraps, I think like the first, the verse of what do you want for yourself? I think is like the only thing that came from, before the pandemic. Okay. Um, and Prodigal Daughter actually had had kind of been kicking around because like, so I started writing it with Tim O'Brien like almost a decade ago. Oh, really? Um, but but the rest of the material, um, in addition to a couple other songs that I recorded that didn't make it on the record that I released over the summer, were all pandemic. I, I wrote them all during the pandemic. Um, and mostly, you know, in the post-summer 2020 pandemic, like starting in September. Um, started started writing some stuff when I was still in New York, but most of the stuff kind of was finished when I got down to Florida and kind of had space and, you know, a room to write in. This is like my my sunroom and I'm like, you know, I had lots yeah. of light. It's so bright that I have to have the blinds drawn right now. But it's like I had this really nice space to be and my daughter was in school and I, I had kind of really kind of rediscovered my my creative, you know, juice, I guess which was definitely, yeah, not there <laughs> first part of the pandemic. That's sort of a short period of time. Like you must've been um, very productive for that, those couple months. It was like wildly, it was wildly productive time. I, I yeah, it was really, I, I wrote more music in that time period than like I will, I will ever write again. Like, I don't even, I don't really know where it came from, but it wow. came out. <laughs> and so you were, you were writing and then at what point did did you get involved with joe like at what point did you did you feel like you had the material at least underway to start forming it into a record I, it was kind of it all kind of happened pretty quickly I, I started i probably had like three or four or maybe like half the material before i called joe and then um starting in just i think i called joe in december like right before christmas or right around the holidays and I got back to Florida January 1st. And then I just like, couldn't stop. I was just writing, 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 writing. And I would write something and I'd be like up in this room at night. And then I would wake up in the morning and I'd go to the studio and cut it. And then I would listen to it. And then I'd like add another verse or take a verse. And just because I had the studio sort of like almost as a workspace as well. Yeah. Um, it, it enabled me to be uh, more productive, I think, than I would have been had I just been at home. Right. Right. And I was sending Joe, like sending Joe demos, sending him lyrics, like he was writing back, recording, sending stuff. Like, so by the time we had, I think we finished that like round of, I think we had like 13 or 14 songs by, I mean, really pretty quickly, like by mid-February or the end of February. And then we started sending stuff out and then, then it kind of took another two months to get it all back. 
So, he, I mean, he's a very much like a live, everyone in the same room kind of guy. That's how he's always worked. Was he, I don't know if he did any other records in this way during the pandemic, um, aside from his own. Does, his own, yeah, yeah. So was he was he um, hesitant about about doing it this way at all, or was he in? Not at all. He, he had just done his own record this way, so okay. I think he really jumped in. And it was so exciting at the end of this process when we were able to... Uh, be together and mix or master the record together. We, we mixed all on zoom. Um, are you drinking a beer? No, it's a sparkling water. Oh, okay. I've never seen that can, but I guess it's from Trader yeah. Joe's. I, I see now. I was like, <laughs> it's like, geez. All right, buddy. <laughs> it was really great when we finally got to be in the same room and actually like sit next to each other and master the record and go out to dinner. Like those things that I don't know, like, like I said, the hang is such a big part of, music making yeah, yeah usually are you really involved in the mix and master process is that something that you're interested in no i hate really? i i hate i don't like any of that stuff <laughs> i don't care i'm just like ugh, mix it and send it to me when it's done i just I, I just like i like writing music i don't even really particularly like writing music i mean i write music because I, I do like it but i like playing music that's that's right. like that's where i that's just where i'm at like i'm a i like to play music i don't the rest of it, like, I, I like to write and I like to record, but I really like to play. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, collaboration's also been a big part of your of your life and your career. Yeah. And that, so that's that's obvious. So with the writing process for you, I'm, I'm really interested, like, you, you mentioned that song Prodigal Daughter, and, I mean, that's got some really interesting shifts in time, and the melody is so unusual. How does it come together for you? Like, I guess take that song for 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 as an example, um, did the lyrics come first? Does the melody come first? How do you, how do you come up with those sort of shifts in, in time and tonality that are, that are in a song like that? Yeah. I don't even, I don't even necessarily think of it as, as I, I think I don't think of those shifts as being shifts. I think of them as just sort of being a part of the story and a part of the narrative of the song. Yeah. Uh, that's all, that's on for me, melody definitely comes first melody and, and chords. And sometimes I, I, that song, and there's another song on the record that's also in that sort of weird guitar tuning, which is a drop C, um, drop C capoed pretty high. So what? So so and, do you mean just the low E string is dropped to a C or? Yeah. Okay. And then I'm playing out cool. a C with that low C underneath, and I don't know, it kind of gives that sort of like ringy C vibe. And then yeah. when um, it goes to the pre-chorus, I guess, or the like, I, I guess this is the chorus. I know forgiveness won't come easy. That that part then it's like I can start, sort of thumb the low string and make, and then play out a D and it sort of has, so oh. then it kind of sounds like a drop D vibe. I, I don't know, just like things like that, that, that I could like, not I probably, figure out what you were doing, but that, that actually makes a lot of sense now that I, yeah, like it, that kind of maybe dictates. And I, I do, there's so many weird tunings on this record. And oh, that was another problem with like having so much time to write is that I'd like put my guitar in these weird tunings and then record the song. And then over the summer when I was trying to like get it ready to play live, I was like, what the fuck did I like? What tuning is this in? Like, yeah. I, I literally had like no idea what a couple of the songs tuned, what I was doing. And I was like, how was I getting that ringy thing? Like, what note was like, that's what? hard? That's hard shit to figure out once you've like, well, once, well, then it's, it makes so much sense when you when you're writing a song because you're like right. in it and then you're writing it and you're like, all right, this is how it goes. And then you go record it and you play it and you're like, no, I'm done with my parts. But then I kind of had no idea how the rest of it went. Um, so, so I sort of had to relearn a lot of stuff, but that song, yeah, that kind of came, I think that 
the the melody the melody and the and the harmony come first to me like the, the and then I, I work on the lyrics as you know kind of usually I have placeholder lyrics and an idea for how I want the song to be but then it, it but that can kind of get edited as it goes on so do you kind of like hum your way through it or do you just come up with like a bunch of nonsense lyrics? Uh, like yeah like placeholder lyrics yeah just like nonsensey and does any of that ever find its way into the finished song or do you completely ditch all that no, some of it, sometimes it does. I think with Prodigal Daughter, I mean, I remember starting writing that song. I remember very vividly where I was. I was in my apartment in Gowanus, Brooklyn, like probably in 2011 or something or 10 and playing and just like, Rosie. like I, and then I remember I wrote another verse that was like something about like Jimmy or it was like, it's going to be like multiple characters throughout the song. Yeah. But um, that that the rosy character did remain in the song and then it kind of I, I sort of reframed it as being built around that character okay and then so so what makes you hang on to a song like that for so long i i really liked that song but i i hadn't finished it and i remember i, I couldn't I, I couldn't finish it and then i took it to tim and he it was his idea to kind of that that sort of chorus I, that that you know i, I know forgiveness won't come easy nothing that part um, but then it was just sort of like we had one verse and a chorus and that was kind of it. And then, I don't know, I just never like, I never did anything with it probably because I had yeah. other songs that I was working on or like, there's just always been a lot of stuff going on for me. Like, I haven't really had this much time to sort of like go back and dig through all this, this, um, old stuff. But when I, when I was going back through and, and that song kind of popped into my mind, it just like, it felt like it rang true in this moment that we're in and sort of with the concept for the rest of the record, it just felt like a, yeah it, like it felt like a strong part of what this record was forming around it of like, just, you know, the sort of the idea that they were living in this crazy time. And there would be this, this, you know, as I'm sure you've read in the press release, like this 20 year period of adulthood from nine 11 to the pandemic and, just sort of all the feelings that are going around that and the feelings of, of home and, and, you know, traveling and returning and being separated from your family and just all, all those things that felt like I wanted to finish it because I wanted that song on this record. This show is brought to you by the good folks at Isotope who make incredible plug-in software for any music or dialogue recording situation. Among other things, they make a very unique suite of software called RX, which you can use to surgically repair almost any kind of issue in a recording. Whether it's removing electrical hum, unwanted noise, vocal plosives, or almost anything you can throw at it. I use Isotope RX on every mix in one way or another, and I love that I can get in there on guitar tracks that I'm doing and running through my crazy old tube amps and get rid of the hum and noise without affecting the actual tone of the guitar. You can buy their plugins outright or get a subscription to keep up to date on all their latest versions. Right now, they're offering listeners a 10% discount on any of their plugins when you use the code SOULPOD10 at checkout. So head on over to isotope.com slash soulpod and you'll see the links right there to get the discount or an extended 30-day trial of their subscription service of Music Production Suite Pro. We're also brought to you this season by Black Mountain Picks. These are unique spring-loaded thumb picks that are super comfortable and adaptable. I've been using them for a couple of years now and I absolutely love them. They come in medium gauge, heavy gauge, jazz-tipped, left-handed, and with regular or extra tight spring tension. Check them out at blackmountainpicks.com. Thanks to our other sponsor, Union Tube and Transistor. They're known for guitar effects pedals with a focus on quality and simplicity. They build durable, repairable products that sound amazing, both on stage and in the studio. I use their Sonebender Fuzz pedal, the Moore pedal, and the Swindle Overdrive pedal all the time in sessions and live on stage. 
You can find them at uniontone.com. And thanks to Spectra 1964. For over 50 years, Spectra 1964 has established a reputation of creating some of the most innovative recording equipment on the market today. From the legendary V610, C610, and 611 complimenter units to the new 500 series lunchbox mic pre's and EQs, Spectra 1964 continues the legacy of providing incredible recording products for the home or professional studio. Check them out at spectra1964.com. And finally, the Hen House Hang. It's a four-day immersive recording experience right here with me at the Hen House Studio in East Nashville on September 19 to 22, 2022. Join us for a musical learning experience like no other. We'll put you up in a groovy hotel, feed you some glorious food, show you the ropes of recording roots and Americana music by bringing you in on a real session with real musicians working on real songs from the ground up. You can get all the info on that at stevedawson.ca. Just follow the links on the front page to the Hen House Hang. All right, then, let's get back to the show. And then what about the production? I guess with that song, like what I hear, like there's, it sounds to me like there's two rhythm guitars kind of Yeah, that's me. Each uh, that's, other. Yep, that's me. I'm playing both those guitars. Um, I did one with the, you know, how I wrote it in drop C, capo it on the yep. ninth fret. And then, um, and then I did, no, maybe seventh fret. I can't remember what fret it is, but it's an, I don't even remember what key the song is in. And then, I did a, I did one out of G that I'm playing with a pick. So one's finger fit, one finger style. And then one's like, sort of like a flat picky or drop, you know, whatever. Um, okay, cool. And then, and then that's just bass and drums. And then Tim O'Brien plays uh, mandola. And so when you do something like that, that has a couple of guitar parts, is that something that you are thinking of like right off the bat or does that come into focus? Are you kind of, you know, just like fucking around and, and finding cool stuff to add and that comes together? Or was that like early on, you were like, this is going to have two kind of different tonality guitar parts? I don't like, I don't, I guess I don't really think like that. Like I, okay. like I said, I'm not like a, it's just not how my like musical brain works, I guess. Like I, I when I write a song, I'm not, I, I don't want anything to be essential except for the song itself. So I right. like, it's, it's, it's like, I, I, it's natural to add a second guitar part, especially if you're in the studio. Cause it's like, what else are you going to do? You're just going to keep on putting guitar parts down until <laughs> there's something else to do. But I, I do feel strongly that, that songs, at least songs that I write can just be whatever, like can, can exist without almost without anything. And I think that when I got to do that song with Ali at Newport, it's just me playing just the finger style part, you know, capo high and the two of us singing. And I feel like that's, that's kind of all it needs. Like, you know what I mean? It doesn't even need, yeah. I don't think it needs the other part necessarily, right. but it's, but it's the kind of song that hopefully people will want to play. And it's, it's an easy guitar song and, and it would probably sound great with 10 guitars around a campfire. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. sort of, but I, I, I think as a writer and, and as you know, somebody who makes records, you don't, I don't want the production to ever be so extreme that, that the song, that you lose sight of the song itself. And, and the song needs to be able to stand alone without, without anything, without drums, without bass, without anything except for, you know, the music and the chords. What about a song like Phoenix? Like that's another one to me that jumps out as having just such an unusual melody. And also I can't, I can't really tell with that, but it sounds like you're in some sort of weird tuning. Uh, yeah, I am. Um, I'm in drop D, the, the two E's are both tuned down to D. Oh, I, I use that in, tuning all the time. Yeah, that's a great tuning. And Capo 5 for that. So that's like kind of has that real uh, nice okay. ringy. Oh, and you know what? I think that actually also the B string is tuned down to an A. No, it's not. 
Oh, then then that's Dadgad. No, it's not Dadgad. It's just the two. It's just the top two. Yeah, it's just. Sorry, okay. it's just the bottom and the top. Yeah. The E's. The E's down to D's. Yep, E's down to D's. Yeah. And then it kind of. I playing. use that all the time. I love that tuning. It's a great tuning. It's so ringy, and um, and then I like a lot of the the sort of a high like just just utilizing the the um the lo- lowest two strings with the like the slide down of the of the chorus. So in that song were you in that tuning messing around and that's how the song came together like the melody is just so unusual kind of yeah i i i that song actually started with me looking um through some old notes and i saw like i'd written down just one phrase i I wrote down time's not the villain and i don't know i just started like that that was really a jumping off point for where i was at with the concept for the record or just in general where i was at in my life of being like I have not written anything. I don't know what am I doing? What's happening with this pandemic? We're still in it. Like I don't have any shows. That's all like my whole life is playing music. And I just sort of started to think about that as a, as a concept And that. Then it kind of just became this mantra of like fever's got me shaken. I know when I came up with that chorus, I just remember being so happy. Like I was so euphoric after I wrote that song, like literally euphoria that lasted for like weeks because it felt, it felt like this catharsis of, it was like a breakthrough. It was a breakthrough. That that song was like a complete breakthrough for me. And um and I it feel like it was a like, phoenix. Yeah, exactly. And and it's it's then that was what it was about. It was about like rising up out of it and and like coming out of the fever and being like I'm ready to move forward now and it was it like yeah. And there's something about that tuning too that I kind of think just has that sort of like ringy positive but like still I don't know, like nebulous because it's not super 30. I don't know. It's just I I I'm really proud of that song. And then like B61, that's the one, that's the, yeah, the the bus number, right? The, one of the bus numbers. It's actually two bus one numbers the, on the record. Right. Lucky Lucky Star uh, is also a bus. Oh, okay. Um, so that tune is sort of based around keyboard. So are you, like, do you play, do you play piano? Yeah. I've never yeah, seen you do that. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I wrote that song on piano. Um, I wrote a couple of the songs on this record on piano. And I, I do also also play a lot of piano. I'm playing piano on Galahad and playing piano on a, on. Oh, cool! Okay. Town of Mercy and um, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff I play piano on on the record, but I I don't play piano live because um, there's I don't have travel with piano. But I wrote B61. Actually, I started writing that couple maybe like a month into the pandemic. Forty, I think, forty one days into the pandemic. Actually, when I got to that last that last verse of you know, for forty one days and as many nights, um, but then kind of re just reworked it and worked on the bridge a little more when I got down here and, and yeah, that's, that started this piano and and there's more, I I feel like that's maybe why I'm not sure if I would have come up with that bridge on the guitar necessarily. And like the slide back into the, into the original key. Yeah. So when you play that live, like going forward, will you just play that on guitar? Yeah, I have, we have played it live and played played on guitar and it's, it's actually it's it's really cool. It's like more spare and and um, the band that I'm touring with behind this record is uh, Isa Burke on electric guitar, Ethan Yojevitz on bass, and my friend Robin McMillan on drums. And it's been a cool thing where it starts with just um, just bass and and then and then I come in. I also have some acoustic versions of all this stuff that you can hear that I recorded as sort of like a companion piece to the record. And there's a, a really cool just guitar, guitar version of B61 that that I like a lot. Oh, nice! I like that song a lot. It's cool. Thanks. Um, so you have been doing some shows. I mean, I had did some shows in the fall. I did shows up to the end of October. 
um, kind of a variety of rescheduled shows and mishmash of stuff, some with the new Age of Apathy band and then some sort of with string quartet that I was supposed to do in March of 2020. Um, and, and we're hoping we were, we were supposed to be in Europe for three weeks uh, this month and next, but that's, you know, obviously not, not in the cards at the moment. Um, but it looks like all the U S stuff is, is going to be good to go. It doesn't start till the end of February. So I think we'll be, I think we'll be in good shape by then. The obvious differences aside from making your other records. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about how, how the, the process was different for you from, uh, so working with Tucker, I guess he did your, your first solo record and your second solo record. Exactly. And he's a great guy and, and, and has a, yeah, it's got a great vibe. Was he like, how did you hook up with him in the first place? I hooked up with Tucker. I had been uh, a Tucker Martin super fan since oh. 2003. So what, which stuff of his were you super into? I'll tell you, I met Sarah Siskind in 2003 at yep. the Four Corners Folk Festival. And she was, she and I were both singing with the Wayfaring Strangers, or maybe it was 2004. I don't, I think it was 2003, right? Cause I could look it up. Um, so this, this kind of jazz bluegrass band out of Boston that, that was sort of like a large nine piece touring outfit. And I was, I was very young. I was probably about 20 years old and she gave me her CD. This was like back in the day. And I was absolutely blown away by it. I was like, what is this? Like, what is this music? There's Bill Frizzell. There's this weird, all this weird shit. And it was produced by Tucker Martin. That was the first time I had, I had ever heard of him. It's called Covered. It's her it's her first solo record, I think, from when she okay. was quite young. And it, it blew me away. And I sort of like said to myself then and there, like, I, I need to make a solo album and it needs to be produced by Tucker Martin. And I, I hadn't made any records at this point. Like, you know, I'd, I'd made, recorded a little bit with Wayfaring Strangers and Crooked Still had maybe just recorded our first album. Okay. Um, but I sort of set this goal for myself that I wanted to make a record with Tucker. And fast forward, you know, we, we had crossed paths and fast forward over the next eight, nine years um finally i met him after he did an abby washburn record um i was on tour with crooked still and our friend jamie dick who i'm sure you know through i do very um, well yeah yeah ali he was on tour with crooked still like tour managing or driving us around it was i don't I, it was really? awesome it was a great vibe and jamie invited tucker to our show at the Aladdin and we met and we just hit it off. And I was like, I really want to make a solo record. I haven't done it yet. At this point, I was like in talks with some labels to do a solo thing. And I was like, are you, would you want to work with me? And he's like, yeah. And then that, that's basically how it happened. I sent him some song ideas and, and we got together and we made fossils and then we made magic hour and we're, we're super close. And mm-hmm. like, I'm sure we'll work together again. Cause we have yeah. a great deep friendship and, um, he was at my show, one of my shows I did over the summer, and then again at Newport. He's just the greatest. He's the greatest guy. So when you worked with him, like say on Fossils, uh, like was that intimidating at all because you you held him in such high regard, and then suddenly you're in the studio with him, or was it very relaxed? It's he's not. He's just like not an intimidating person. No, I know. So it's 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 a no. I, I probably maybe it was like the, for the first day because I didn't know him yet. But he's he's such an immediate like. Um, like, I feel like he's a family member. Like he's just such a, yeah. such a good, kind, loving human who just like is, has such incredible ears, listens so hard, cares so much about the music that he's making and the records that he's producing. Like almost to a point where you're just like, wow, like you really, he's like, yeah, when I was out for my walk at midnight last night, listening to all the stuff we did today. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> like he's, he's just, um, 
Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. He's, he's really special. Does he play drums on that stuff? Or does he, he bring doesn't, a drummer? No, he brings a drummer. Okay. So he actually introduced me. Um, on Fossils, my friend Robin McMillan played, who's going to be in my touring band for this record. And then okay. Tucker introduced me to Steve Nister, who is a great drummer who played, you know, kind of with, he played in the Brian Blade folk band, Mama Rosa. He, he was a Portland based yeah. guy. Um, and Steve ended up playing on in the magic hour and then also touring with me for that whole record cycle. And we became a great friend and, and, um, and colleague. And so what, what were some of the highlights for you of the, of those two records, like working, I don't know if you did them at Flora or we did. You, did them else, you did. Okay. Yeah. At, the the, at the old Flora, I guess. The, I guess, yeah, the, yeah, the old Flora, um, not like Flora 2.0, I think, cause there, there was also the old, old Flora. Uh, oh, okay. it, it was, um, they were great. It was, I, I loved sort of doing records like that where I would go somewhere and I would rent to like a little Airbnb and be, the first for fossils. It was just one chunk of time. I was there for two weeks and made fossils. Magic hour was a little bit different. Like I went out first for, I think 12 or 12 days or 14 days. And then I went back out for another 14 days, like in a different month. And both times yeah. like rented an Airbnb by myself, like lived in Portland. Basically we had this great schedule where we would work, you know, nine, nine to six and go home and, and then come back the next day, kind of refreshed. It was just a really cool uh, yeah. work schedule. It kind of put me in that mindset of like having a work schedule. I think Tucker was probably the first person that I worked with who was on that schedule. I think maybe it kind of co- coincided with like a time in life where when you're in your twenties, you're, you like sleep till noon and you want to record all day. You just like eat chips and, and, all night. and it doesn't matter. <laughs> but then like when you're, I, I made fossils right before I turned 30 and I was like, Oh, like you can get up and go for a run and go to the studio and be done and have dinner and go to bed. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> kind, of, kind of boring, but it's, um, it was, a it was a cool, it was a kind of a wake up call of like how to, how to be sustainable in your recording. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, those records are, they're different sounding from the new one. I don't know in, in your mind, what makes them different, um, for me, they seem like the atmospheric stuff is more of a part of it. Uh, there's there's a lot there's sort of textures that drop in and out, sort of hallmarks of of what Tucker does so well. Yeah, I guess. for sure. Was that something that you were also involved in, or did you kind of let him and the musicians shape that? I, I also it, yeah. noticed, like with 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 vocals, like there's a lot of doubled vocals and things like that on those records that I don't hear as much on the new record. Um, yeah, yeah, I like guess. How, how, yeah, it's it's interesting to, to to like compare them. I think there are definitely um, there's definitely more of the Tucker stamp of like Avon Kang's, you know, that that sort of like violin sound. I feel like is so Tucker. Um, yeah. And even like the way the drums are and the way the bass is, 
but I think that that more than anything, like these songs, I think because they they just like they were written in such a more condensed period. Like I feel like there's just I'm like saying more on this record than I did on those previous records. Maybe because the time is different, and because the songs were just sort of written in like a fury, in a way yeah. that um, that they they weren't they weren't in pre- on previous records, especially fossils, where I was sort of when you make your first record, you're kind of drawing from this this well of material that you've had for you know kicking around for your whole life as a songwriter, and you pick whatever you want from that, and you kind of put it together as a record. But I do also think that how we've made records and how we think about records has changed in the last ten years, and e- even since I made. Magic Hour were in the fall of 2016. No, because it came out. I know. I, I feel like it came out in January of 2016. It's got the date on it is 2016. So yeah, it came, uh, you must have made I, it in 2015. I think I made it in 2014. Oh, okay. I think I recorded so, it at the end of 2014 and then it came out a year later. Like the way that, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's, I'm pretty sure that's, yeah, that is how it happened. So, okay. so it's, it's like, yeah, so I think how we think about records is just different now um, than, or at least how I think about records is different now. I wanted to ask you about that song, Beekeeper. Uh, what record is that on? Fossils. Um, so that one, is that a crazy tuning as well? That's just drop D, capo three. It is? Yeah. That's such a cool, that's such a cool, like the, the whole picking, the whole vibe of it is cool. Is the finger picking stuff like that? Like, do you use your fingers? What's going on? Yeah, there I use my, right my thumb. I use my thumbnail and I use mostly yeah. these two fingers, like my claw, but then like then these, these three. And then sometimes I throw in these, these two. Okay. So, so guitar wise, did you, do you have distinct influences in your mind? Like people that you figured out how to play from, or were you always sort of like figuring out, just sort of like figuring out how to accompany your, yourself to get your songs across? I guess I mean I had a guitar teacher when I was in high school, um, and uh, like who taught me, I, I like you know basic basic guitar stuff. But I, I, other than that, I would say I'm pretty self-taught and pretty mediocre. Um, but it's I, I like listening to people like Joe Baez and Bob Dylan, like even that sort of really like finger style guitar. I feel like those are the those yep. are the, the songs that I learned how to play first. Um, Do you remember specific songs? Like Sweet Sir Galahad, like um, you know, yeah. um, Don't Think Twice, It's All Right. That's actually a pretty tricky little number to play. Yeah, yeah, but I feel like those are those are kind of some of the first songs that I learned how to play, and then and then I, I think I've definitely I've spent a lot more time playing the guitar and practicing the guitar and getting better at guitar over the years, especially in the last couple of years. Um, I think when I'm with her started, I felt like I really had to up my game and and you know try oh, yeah. to at least <laughs> come up to where they are halfway. Um, they're they're <laughs> they're like serious instrumental virtuosos, and I'm just like playing rhythm guitar, but. I think that was a re- that definitely made me a more confident guitar player. I think which then makes you a better guitar player. You guys for I'm with her came together at some festival or something, right? Or were yeah, you I old mean, we, friends we, from way we, back? We, we were old friends. I mean, we've all been friends for many years um, uh, and sang on each other's records and and you know hung out at festivals, etc. But we got together. The trio kind of formed at Telluride in 2014. And okay. um, how did that actually happen? Did somebody we were, say, "Hey, do you guys want to"? get on stage together or did you plan it? Well, we were on a fest on a workshop together um, and kind of like yeah. that. We were, the, we were the only three who could like get together beforehand to work something up. up. So we, that, that happened. And then later that day, Chris Thiele, uh texted me and was like, oh, do you guys want to, or do you want to open for us at the Sheridan Opera House tonight? And I was like, yeah, we'll, we'll be there. And we got, we went there and we, um, you know, rehearsed in the bathroom and put together like a six or seven song set, like literally. And, and it was like, 
electric. Of, of what material? Of random of stuff. What? Like we did like Blue Moon okay. of Kentucky. We did some original stuff. We did okay. some other more like bluegrassy stuff. But it, but it was just yeah, it was electric. And then we got together later that fall. And yeah. now this is all the, t- the timing is making sense now because we got together and then we right after I had been working on my record and we put together. So I went, went to Portland, recorded in the magic hour, part of it, flew back, worked on um, a, a set. Cause I'm with her to send decided in, in the fall that we were going to go do a European tour. Just like we kind of made up our band and we're like, all right, we're, we're going to be a band. And we had to put together a set of material. So we put together a set of material from our, our catalogs, but also a bunch of covers. And then um, that was that just kind of took off from there. It was like the, the ship that couldn't stop moving. What were those records like to make? Like, how were they different from, from what you were doing with the solo stuff? I'm with her record. Yeah, yeah. With her record. It was just one record. I mean, plus a single. That record was a, a, a completely different experience. Once again, from anything we've been talking about in that it was literally just us in a room, the same room as Ethan Johns and Dom Monks, the engineer oh, yeah. at, um, at Real World Studios in the middle of January for three weeks, re- playing music like, you know, two feet from each other in a triangle with no headphones. Everything was entirely live. The, they were in the same room as us on a couch, like, you know, 50, not even 50, like 20 feet away. And yeah. it was like, this is it. This is, it's like a real very Ethan Johns, like no reverb. Like I, I love how that record sounds, but, it, but um, <laughs> remember, are, no, are there no overdubs on that none. record? Oh, there's like one okay. overdub or where like, um, I think I like overdubbed a piano thing on Overland, like a glockenspiel thing. How inspiring was being in a place like real world? Oh, it was really, it was really inspiring, but it was also like, very I've never seen it, but it's, it, I've seen pictures and it's, it's kind of bananas, right? Well, we were in the small room, which is like, it's, it, it's, okay. We were there and we were there in the month of January. Like it was, so it was, it was, and we were like sequestered there, you know, like we didn't have a car. We didn't have, like, we were literally just like, and we were living there and eating all of our meals there. I don't even know where it is. Like it's out in the countryside somewhere. It's in out England? in the countryside. Yeah. It's, it's outside of, it's outside of a little town called Box, which is outside of Bath, like an hour from Bath. Okay. And it was like literally okay. in the middle of nowhere. And, um, how did that end up happening? I don't even know. We, he was like on our short list <laughs> and we, and we, asked him if he would produce the record and he said yes and but you know this is where he works so we all flew over there and that was that oh so he's like he's sort of mobbed up with real world i didn't realize yeah he li- he lives really close to there so it's easy for him because he can just like drive over and okay. drive back yeah okay all right cool and and so what was the thing with what was the vibe with him like he was he was sort of involved in sonically putting you guys together but also like was he actively contributing to the arrangements and the and the songs or not so much some in some ways i mean it's like his stamp is very much like i feel like he has this magic kind of without makes it seem like he, you feel like he's not doing that much but he actually is doing a lot like he's he creates sure. this vibe creates his environment um and yeah like just kind of is is able to coax this just coax this magic thing out of musicians in a way that's mm-hmm. i don't know it's really weird i just i just finished watching get back finally last night have you watched it I did, yeah. I can't stop thinking about it. Like all, like I and I watched the first two before before Christmas, and then for some reason, like I, I we tried to get my family to to catch up so we could watch episode three together, but nobody did, and so we finally finished it last <laughs> night. We watched episode three last night, and I'm just like, Glenn Johns in that in that movie, like that's just 
just think, and I don't know, everybody's role in that eight hours of footage. Oh God, it's real. I can't stop thinking about it. It's like, all I want to do is I just want you, I want to watch it again. I know it's, it's so interesting and, and kind of heartbreaking in a way. And so inspiring in a way. And, uh, and eye-opening too, just like seeing, for me, it was like seeing how much fucking around happened. <laughs> was uh, well, like... and that was the part that felt the most relatable to me. Like the part where, totally. they, where they, where they, they, um, <laughs> they, oh God, it's like, it's, it, it really felt like as Critter, my friend, Chris Eldridge, he was like, yeah, you know, you see this thing. It's like stars are just like us. He was like, Beatles are just like us. <laughs> Um, it's yeah, the, the amount of fucking around is, is hilarious, but also like my favorite, I think the moment for me that like makes me just want to cry is like the whole movie. I kept on saying to my husband, like, what is John? Like John is doing nothing. Like, what is the, like, what is the point of John Lennon right now? Like he's, he's, yes, he's amazing when he finally does open his mouth and like gets there. But then at the end of the movie, when they're on the rooftop and he's singing, and, like, yeah. it makes, it, like literally I just like burst into tears. Cause it I was know, like, and I I'm going to cry thinking about it. Like, it was like that moment where you're like, this is, this is like why we all do this is because if everything sucks and, and it's so hard to like break through to get to the next point, all that matters is that you're just on stage or doing, or playing, playing live with your friends, with your people. And it's like that, that, yeah. like I finished that last night and I've just been like, I felt so full of hope today for like everything. Yeah. Like it kind of, it, it makes me wonder if they edited out like a lot of his really productive behavior and just showed him like his childish screwing around behavior. Cause that's basically, you're right. Like that's what he's doing. The entire movie is just like doing a polka version of, of mean Mr. Mustard, like the weirdest shit. He but I think seems it's because to never, he was high. Maybe. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like I never see him doing any drugs. So I don't really have a grip on how high he was. I think that, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know either. I, I I read on some like website that Disney, maybe like Disney didn't want them to talk about drugs, but like that they were like really deep into heroin at the time. I, I, I don't know. This is like, all just like the, hmm. but, um, but. Cause he's, cause he's pretty coherent. No, he, he is pretty coherent, but, but it's, I'm so glad that like, I, I just love this, having this sort of shared experience of watching that film and then talking about it with other musicians, because it feels like, Me too. it feels like this, I don't know, like you, you have, you were given this, like, like a, a secret window into. Oh, it's so world. secret. And it's, I know. Yeah. It's so great. It's so unusual. And, and like, I've never seen anything like it. That's for sure. I just and said to my dad. To, it's good to see those, seeing those guys like that go through something like that too, where you're like, oh, they are human beings. That's kind of interesting. Oh, I'm so I'm so glad that you watched it too. And it's been so nice talking with you. Um, I hope that you. You have- too. Thank you so much. I'm I'm really excited about the new record. I think it's phenomenal. And uh, thanks for talking to to me about it today. And um, hope to see you down in in Nashville or yes. up in Nashville. I guess for you. One of these uh, yeah, days. up and over. I know it's funny. I was like, wait, where am uh, I? Do you have a show coming up here? That I think I do, but I can't remember when it is. Okay. Sometime in the sometime in the spring. All right. Awesome. But we'll reach out. Yeah. And thanks again for recording okay. Allie and for all you do. And You're welcome. Um, I appreciate it. And great to chat with you. Steve. Thanks. You too. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. All right. That was my conversation with Aoife O'Donovan. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did having it. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks for another chilling episode of Music Makers and Soul Shakers. We'll see you then. Yeah. Music Makers and Soul Shakers is produced at the Hen House Studio in Nashville, Tennessee by Steve Dawson. Please remember to subscribe to the show and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. 
You can find more info on this episode, including show notes and an audio playlist at makersandshakerspodcast.com. Thanks again to our amazing sponsors this season, Ear Trumpet Labs, Union Tube and Transistor, Black Mountain Picks, Isotope, and Spectra 1964. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.